0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. It appears we will have some time before reaching Braslota. I was wondering if you'd agree to play me in a game of stratagema.
1: Although I'm intrigued by the audacity of your request, I can't fathom why you would wish the encounter.
0: I enjoy a challenge. Very
1: well an opponent of limited dimensions, can often be quite diverting.
0: Thank you. So, you're gonna beat him, huh? Nope. Well, then it's gonna be a close one. Nope. But you have got a chance. Ah! Are you even gonna bother to show up? Sure. Kolrami is the best ever at Stratagema. Just to get to play him is a privilege. So, aside from your being privileged, is there anything else I can look forward to? Nope. This
1: is gonna be exciting.
2: Good
3: morning, London. It's Thursday, June 19th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we
4: will be with you from now until noon.
3: No, it's not right wing. It's just right. colour, color black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all- and welcome to our show today, which is dedicated to the election aftermath. We're going to discuss our reaction to the reaction that people had to the election and the election itself. And understand, Robert, you're going to be dealing with the mysterious Party X in the final quarter of the show. Party
4: X, yes, it does sound mysterious, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, we'll discover what that mystery
3: is all about when we get to that part of the show. goes back 50 years. Ah. Yep. Well, what a great election, I think. This rather unanticipated event has turned out to be, at least for us in Freedom Party. Of course, that is not the case for Ontario, but Ontario's fate, I think, was unavoidable, irrespective of which party was put into power. And that's something that Milton Friedman will explain in his own way in the last quarter of the show today. I shed no tears for Tim Hudak or the Progressive Conservative Party. I think they earned their losses and more... Nor am I cheering for the win government's win at the polls, because, well, there's really nothing to cheer about, is there, Robert?
4: <laughs> it's 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 quite sad, actually, though you, you said it right at the beginning. It didn't matter which of the three main parties got in, there would be no essential difference for this province. So when people are actually boohooing the fact that Kathleen uh, Wynne's Liberals got in with a majority... It hardly matters. It really doesn't. It really doesn't,
3: and it's and, and just going to be business as usual, really, uh, which is which is a tragedy in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, I, what really amazed me, too, was on election night and going into the election and after was... The amazing accuracy of the predictions that were made by uh, Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever about the PC's fate and his stated strategy for Freedom Party, I think it demonstrates that Freedom Party's on the right path to Queen's Park for the long term, but it's not a short-term game for us, of course. And, uh, I mean, he was downright prophetic about what was, has been going on and has been happening in, in the past week. But I'll, I'll explain why I've never felt better coming out of a provincial election than in any other election than I can recall. And that goes back a ways. Yeah, seriously. Um, Uh, That's that's not a comment on your age, Bob. No, no.
4: That's a comment (laughs) on the fact that you've been in Freedom Ready for 30 years. Well,
3: I've been at this for a while, you know. Uh, you know there are those who are observers of a game they admit they measure everything they see in the black-and-white terms of winners and losers but those who are players in the game measure losses and wins in terms of progress made and i can say unequivocally that this ontario election fourteen was by far the election that offered the most measurable and significant electoral progress in freedom Party's history robert i know you'll be expanding on some of the particulars of this mm-hmm. later in the show today but as and as strange as it may seem, given the the win-liberal majority and the potential crisis that Ontario will face or could face under her government, all the pieces on the Ontario political field are almost in a perfect alignment for at least Freedom Party to make its next move on the board in the game. Uh, you know everyone now has four years to prepare for the next election and we can do so on our terms too without constantly being under threat of an election being called at the whim of any of the parties in the legislature. It's just a torturous procedure, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And consistently under the past minority governments we've been involved in a flurry of by-elections while simultaneously having to consider the possibility of having very short notice on the calling of a general election and that's exactly what happened. I think uh, voters should equally spend some of the next four years looking into the parties they vote for. But I'm not really holding my breath in that regard. Uh, voter dissatisfaction with their options seemed to have reached a new height. It seemed, I say seemed. Though if you really, you know, examine past elections, it was pretty much the same then. Every time an election is over, you hear all the, uh, uh, the complaints, the dissatisfaction, there's nobody to vote for. But what has changed is the new height of the Ontario debt and the deficit and the new lows that Ontarians have to look forward to if they want to live in a free and prosperous province. It's, it's not going in that direction. Now, when I saw the London Free Press headline of June 3rd, almost, what's that, two weeks before the election date, uh, I thought the writing was on the wall then. It, it, the headline read, quote, Red Surge but a nail-biter, showing the Liberals at 37%, PC's at 30%, and NDP at 24%. And so, you know, right there, 61% of voters were knowingly voting red, while the 30% who were planning to vote PC were unwittingly voting red. <laughs> okay? So the red, tr- the red surge was the only choice being offered voters by any of the parties in the legislature. And then there's the Green Party. And I thought I really should take a moment to discuss the Green Party, because it's really another Red Party. We talked about the Green Party, when was that, a few weeks ago? And we mentioned Greg Vezina, remember that? Yes. Well... Instrumental our, in the uh, foundation of the Green well, Party. Well, more than I thought, because if our regular listeners may recall, a few weeks back I mentioned a fellow by the name of Greg Vezina, who had recently gotten the None of the Above Party put on the ballot in eight ridings, I understand. So I think people need to understand uh, who Greg Vesna is and what he's doing and how the Green Party and the None of the Above Party came into being. Uh, believe it or not, Greg Vesna was on Steve Garrison's show on June 9th, just a couple weeks after I mentioned him. Never really thought he'd ever come out of the out of the woodwork. And he was promoting his None of the Above Party, which was on the ballot in, as I say, eight ridings. Garrison introduced Vesna as being the guy to bring an option to voters who do not like the options that they currently have. Vezina, as leader of the None of the Above Party, touted referenda, recall, and electoral reform as his calling card. Quote, Our system is broken, and people do realize that we have the tools to fix it. Uh, His party wants to run Independent MPPs who are not bound by any party discipline or ideology. This is just insanity on the face <laughs> of it. Right? You. That's a, you, i can so see so oxymoronic. It. Yeah. It's just just uh, oh, and he also a pushed, party of
4: independence.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's like having uh, how 107 parties, right? That's bizarre. Yeah, and he also pushed declining your ballot to prevent the parties from getting subsidies. This was his, this was his thing because he says if you can keep them under 15 percent of the vote, they don't get subsidies. Although that's totally skewed. It's not exactly how it works. Um, because a 15% subsidy is based on expenses incurred by the party. It's not just any, any amount handed over. And he said, uh, so, you know, if we can split the vote enough, we can make sure they all go bankrupt, as if they would, just because they're not getting a subsidy. He says, if the people who didn't vote next just went out and refused the ballots, we'd bankrupt all the major parties in one election and fix democracy right there. <laughs> oh, wow. Then and Andy asked Greg whether he really wanted, this is Andy Udman who was also in on the conversation, he asked Greg, well, did you really want to fix Ontario or are you just a showboat anarchist? And I thought, wow, good for you, Andy.
4: Well, uh, yeah, that may be good for him and I don't know if I'm going to say something okay. that you're, you're, nope, you're leading ahead. up to, but Greg Vesna is not a stupid man. No, he's not. And he's doing this thing, these things, the Green Party and the None of the Above Party, by design for a specific
3: reason. Well, I think the reason is mischievous. I don't know. I, I know he's really disgusted with the options at the polls and things like that. And uh, you talk to him; he sounds like he's he's well intentioned. No, it has nothing to do with what he said on the radio
4: mm-hmm. and his uh, observed intentions. Yeah. I think his intentions are destructive, and I can probably talk about that I, oh. uh, unless you're going to be bringing it up.
3: Well, you know, he says to he says to uh, he says to Andy after being accused of being an anarchist. He says, "Well, you know, I spent my life working for a democracy." Now get this, I was the founding candidate and former chief agent and treasurer of the Green Party. I went to the Supreme Court prosecuting the broadcasters for not letting the Green Party on television during elections. And by the way, we participated in Mm -hmm. that action. And I intervened in the separate school funding case. So this is no flash in the pan, he says. Declining your ballot is more democracy than staying at home, he argued. And then Andy says, well, I think he's just trying to throw a monkey wrench into the whole machinery, says Andy, after hearing his argument. Now, Greg Vezina, like Jim Harris, who was also a leader of the Green Party and helped get Elizabeth May elected, is ostensibly an ex-progressive conservative, although he still sounds like a current PC, given what he's been up to. Um... You know, the whole point is that the PC scheme to split the vote on the left, that's one of the reasons that they created the Green Party to begin with. Although I think it's beginning to split the vote on the right as well. Um, The Green Party policy of single school board suits that Protestant conservative goal of getting rid of the, the, the dual school board system and is a great way to introduce that issue into an election where the other parties will not discuss it, right? That's one of the reasons people start other parties. But, you know, it's interesting that it was John Tory, yes, the John Tory that we know, who was the one who advised Bill Davis, way back when, to extend Catholic school funding to the end of high school, and then slowly lost the election, first through a minority government, then a Peterson-Ray coalition that pulled him down in the next election. Davis stepped down, then there was Miller, um, who stepped in. By the way, Hudak's daughter's name is Miller as well. Why so, do you mention that? Well, because there's all the connection and and, and the whole Oh, is she related culture. then? I, I don't think they're related, but maybe that's got something to do with it. Um, you know, there are so many things just outrightly wrong about the way Vezin is thinking about this issue that it would probably take an entire show to deal with them. But this much is clear. In terms of what I understand democracy to be and what he thinks it is, we're on Two different ships going in opposite directions. He's pushing for a form of majority rule, which we always have been calling mob rule, with no particular structure to government or the way, to, or of a way to get into government. Um, his ideas, in my humble opinion, are about as anti democratic as any I've ever heard. And I think Andy called it right. He's a showboat anarchist. And uh, it's funny that he should now, after having registered two parties, two parties, still suggest to people they should vote none of the above. How consistent is that? What, what, what is, you were going to say something about this. Well,
4: it's we surmise that he began the Green Party, of course, to yes. split the vote on the left. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, well, that's
3: pretty well, well what he told
4: us. Yeah, and that is true. And Why would he all of a sudden go and create another party called None of the Above Party if it wasn't, again, to be destructive of any chances of any other party like the Libertarians, Freedom Party, Family Coalition, or any other party with a positive or uh, cogent Mm -hmm. platform? from muscling in as it were into the uh, the closed loop of the pcs ndp and liberal there has to be some sort of um, destructive element to creating a party called none of the above which by the way is oxymoronic anyway because it shouldn't be allowed on the ballot it, 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 it shouldn't be allowed and, I, and i'd like for 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 you and freedom party and some other people to get involved and and Take this party to task and the Elections Finances Commission and Elections Ontario to task for even approving a name like that, which, by the way, I understand, has a legal meaning other than the name of a party. Well, certainly, and it has a... It's like the declined vote party. R- precisely, but it's or not a declined vote. the spoiled ballot
3: party. It is a party, so when you're voting for none of the above, you're voting for Greg Vesna. Mm-hmm. See, so it's not a none of the above. It's, it's deceptive, it's deceiving, and I think that it's um, destructive and... That's all I have to say about well, that. Well, you know, that's pretty much all there is. But, of course, where the voter, voters tend to get let, left out of the picture is the bigger picture. You know, short-term thinking in politics is all about winning or losing today. Long-term thinking in politics is planning for a long-term victory that will last beyond the immediate moment. And maybe that's the message of the Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> that we picked for this morning, which we'll continue with right now.
0: Computer. Actuation Positions for Strategema. Ready? Begin. Come on, Commander. Come on, Come on now. Will. You can do it. Huh? You can get Will. Come on, Commander. Come on, you got him, you got
4: him, you got him. Watch Good. him now, watch him. On, on
0: the on the One more, Oh. 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 oh.
5: That's, That's it. it? I'm afraid so. But you only made 23 moves.
0: Congratulations.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Forever curious, this urge to compete.
5: What's a human response? That inborn craving to gauge your capabilities through conflict.
0: Doctor, there are other ways to challenge oneself.
5: Well, perhaps, but they all lack a certain thrill. Maybe you should challenge Kol Rami to stratagema. Why, Doctor? Because when someone is that smug, you occasionally have to deflate them just a little.
0: Yeah, Data. I'd like to see your neuroflex tear him down a bit. To what end?
5: Data, humans sometimes find it helpful to have an outsider set the standard by which they're judged.
0: To avoid deceiving oneself. In the present context, what did she mean by bust him up? In her own way,
5: Doctor Pulaski was instructing you to take the shortest route to victory,
0: as opposed to what? Ready? Begin. Yes, yes, go. Come
6: on, on. go. Good, 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 good. Oh, look at those. Oh. Oh. Wow.
5: I can't believe it. the computer beaten by flesh and blood. You advanced quite far against such a worthy opponent. Thoroughly enjoyable, Mr. Data.
0: I am at your disposal for a rematch. Thank you. But what would be the point?
5: How can you lose? You're supposed to be infallible.
0: Obviously, I am not.
5: Data.
0: Counselor. Is something the matter?
5: <sighs> that was going to be my question.
0: With my repository of knowledge. I expected to perform better against a humanoid life form.
5: You know, some of our greatest advances have come from analyzing failure. While it can be ego bruising,
0: but counselor, it... I do not have an ego.
5: Yes. Well, um. A loss can be disheartening.
0: But, Counselor, I do not have a...
5: Data, you can handle defeat in two ways. You can lose confidence or you can learn from your mistakes.
0: That is what troubles me. I made no mistakes. I have conducted a diagnostic check of all of my programs. I am now cross-checking with the ship's computer.
5: Is that all necessary?
0: I believe so. I have proven to be vulnerable. At the present time... My deductions should be treated with skepticism.
5: So that's why you haven't been on the bridge?
0: Yes, the captain would be ill-advised to rely upon my judgment.
5: I think you're overreacting. I'm sure you're all right.
0: I, however, am not sure. Commander, I require your presence on the bridge. Captain, with all due respect, Perhaps it would be better if you choose another to serve as your first officer. Data, you are my first officer. I have not been able to isolate the problem, sir. I might make a mistake. Yes, you might. But that does not alter your duty to me and to this ship. Now, do you know how to formulate a premise? Yes, sir. Then formulate this one. How do I deal with Commander Riker and the Hathaway? I want to wait your answer on the bridge. Commander, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a
3: weakness, that is life. And what a lesson for life! It's true. Life for freedom, Party. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, we we played a lot of campaigns that we felt we didn't make any errors, you know, and and mm-hmm. of course we don't didn't expect to win either going into it. I thought it was funny when the doctor says s- suggested data, you know, you, you've been you should take the shortest route to victory. He goes as opposed to what? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the longer victory. And then of course, uh, how can you lose? And that's almost the question that I heard repeatedly with respect to PC voters who were upset at the loss of the PCs. Oh, the wailing voices of PCs heard on Friday the 13th at talk show radio stations. What a sad display of never seeing the forest for the trees. I never cease to be amazed, Robert, by the conservative amazement when you hear them trying to assess the causes of their failing in an election. It's Tim Hudak's fault. It's Toronto's fault. It's the stupid voters' fault. It was the 100,000 jobs cut promise that did it. It was the first-past-the-post system. It was vote splitting. It was the low voter turnout. Although, at the same time, these are the people saying that the voters are stupid anyway, so why worry about a low turnout? There's actually or, one or, of
4: those things that actually is, uh, has merit, and that is that it is the first-past-the-vote
3: system. Well, it is. But that's not the reason for the, for the, for the failure. No, Anyone it's could have failed under that, and anyone could have won under that. That's not true. the cause of a particular party winning and losing, right? And, of course, then it was the policies. But I know what you're saying. The reason the Liberals won is because, well, they got the most votes, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very simple, yes. Though, with the first-past-the-vote system, you can
4: actually win and not get the most votes.
3: Um, that's vote. true. That's yeah. true, depending how, again, the vote the splits. Seats, so yeah. that can happen, too. But that's within the riding, right? Sure. Or within how relative ridings to each other split, not not within the riding. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, if you look at it, liberals are wolves in sheep's clothing, whereas conservatives are sheep in wolves' clothing. The Liberals come on telling you we're going to do the great things for Ontario, we're going to look after everybody, and really what that means is they're going to tax everybody and make everybody's life more miserable. Meanwhile the Conservatives come out, uh, you know, oh, we're tough, we're going to be tough, we're going to do this, we're going to create a million jobs, we're going to cut a hundred thousand, and it turns out they're really sheep, they didn't mean any of that anyway. Mm-hmm. It was all through attrition. And And so, what is to make of that? Uh, you know, there is one silver lining in this, and we tend to forget about it, because we haven't had a majority government in a while. And there, I don't know how if this is going to hold true, but it might because of another factor, but majority governments generally spend more responsibly than minority governments.
4: Exactly, because the minority government, the reins of mm-hmm. power are almost always held in this province by the new democratic power, which is, power, party, party. Which is of course, the unions.
3: Yes, and which is also the, now the liberals, too. But... At least once a party is in a majority position, they're no longer um, you know kissing the butt of the other parties and That's trying right. to placate them all the time so that everybody gets their way in order for the for a particular session to stay in 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 the in the legislature um, in any event, the next opponent the Ontario Liberals will be facing is what we would call reality and reason, and everybody's talking about a downgrade of Ontario's credit rating and things of that nature now. I heard some interesting commentary on June 17th um, on Andy Utman's show, and I heard Monty McNaughton, who is uh, the PC for, uh, I think it's Lambton-Kent, Middlesex there, yeah, he was talking about running for the leadership of, uh, of the PCs after this and uh, talked about some of the things that went wrong. But, you know, when I listened to him, he didn't sound much different than Tim Hudak or anybody else. And they always sound good on the surface, but if you understand the meaning of the words, it's never what it really sounds like. They try to sound like us, like Freedom Party a lot. You ever notice that? Well, you know, you always have to read between
4: the lines when it comes to any politician. But what strikes me is that the mantra out there is this. In order to get elected, you must become like the party which got elected. And if you follow that mantra, there is going to be no difference between any of the parties. And that's exactly what we have today. We've had, what, over 100 years of parties trying to outdo each other Mm -hmm. in being
3: just like each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Pretty much, you're right, and always yeah. moving in that same direction. Yes. You know, Al Gretzky called in on that show, who of course was Freedom Party's candidate in London West, and he, mm. and he said, with all due respect to Monty McNaughton, you could have had Brad Pitt leading the PCs in this election, and the outcome would have been the same. George Bernard Shaw wrote, as long as the government is willing to rob Peter to pay Paul, they will always have Paul's vote. And he said, Thursday night demonstrated that we now have more Pauls than Peter. And then Salim Mansour called in said something very interesting that I didn't know until I heard this, and this was on the same show, speaking on the post-mortem of the election, and he said, and I'm quoting him here, this is not simply about economics, the symptom is deeper, it's about culture, and no one seems to want to talk about it. The culture that you were born into has been stripped away and destroyed, and I call this culture liberal democracy, the culture of accountability." Individual responsibility, love for freedom, limited government, that is all gone, he said. The PCs will not bring it back. Nobody will bring it back because nobody wants to talk about it. We have no core values left anymore, and everyone's scared to talk about it because they might be called a bigot. Consequently, the symptom cannot be treated. And he says, he gave, gave a quick example. He says, and I'm quoting here, I came out of Mother Teresa's school, I had an all-candidates debate, and was accosted by students after the debate, and one young, beautiful blonde girl came up to me, and she said, how rude I am, how impolite I am. And I asked, why? What did I do? We were in a debate, and I was pointing out to all who was responsible for the mess that you will have to pay for. She said, yes, but you were so rude. And I realized I could not speak to her nor explain anything to her she was just adamant that I was rude because I was pointing out that Deb Matthews and her government were the problem that she's gonna have to pay for Tim Hudak didn't run on a campaign of accountability he ran a campaign where he was the one accountable and as a result his party was slaughtered the PCs are not a conservative party we have three parties in the legislature all on the left all progressive parties maximize government spending, take away the freedom of the people, and postpone accountability to the next generation. I don't think he was talking about Star Trek, the next generation either, and let them deal with it. And then, a few callers later, a woman named Adriana called in. She said, I heard Salim Mansour. One of my children attends that school, and he came home and said, Mom, I can't believe how rude the students were to the Freedom Party candidate it was unbelievable how rude they were and how rude Deb Matthews was and the students were just accepting all that they heard from her like it was the truth in the Bible and I was so ashamed by how rude these students were with the Freedom Party candidate he did deserve at least a bit of respect and a bit of dignity they should have at least listened to what he had to say but that was not the case there is so much ignorance and they're being all fed this propaganda spread by Deb Matthews and her people and that was her son's reaction it scene. goes
4: back to what I've always said on this show, and what I've always said before the show. It all boils down to education, and it's the education system that we have today that's breeding this level of intellect. Oh yes, this, mm. this, this ignorance, this inbred ignorance. Um that's, also, that's why you're getting this. You know,
3: there's also a psycho- psychological part about this. Um, I, was, I was speaking to others about this, and I'm reminded of the feminization of politics, which was particularly referred to by Kathy Shadle in her book, The Tyranny of Nice. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't actually say to anyone, oh, well, you're wrong and I'm right. Yeah. You, you, you have to actually always soft-pedal soft anything, and then people uh, don't know what's going on. Now the Tories are saying that they went too hard right. You know, when they never really went anywhere near the word "right" in any sense of the word. Half
4: of the papers out there are always saying, are, "are saying right now today," saying the conservatives have to move a little bit more to the left, have to be more progressive. All of them. There's people out there saying that they should just rename themselves the Conservative Party. There's also people out there, and I can't believe this, who say that the Conservative Party should rename themselves as the Progressive Party. Well, that would be more accurate. But you know, well, it would be accurate. That... But you know what? Why are they saying this? They're saying this for the sake of getting in power alone. Yes. Not for any ideal, not, not for any platform, those not for don't any exist solutions, anymore. or reality. Just to get
3: in power. And of story, and that's what Christina Blizzard's all about. You know, she says Tories require a fresh face to rejuvenate party. They don't need a fresh face. They need a whole new party, a whole new idea. She says before the Tories can even think about electing a new leader, they need to do some serious soul searching. After Tory quit in two thousand and nine, the party was too quick to crown Hudak as leader. Which is funny, they've already kicked him out the door. He's leaving July 2nd yes. already. How, how funny is that? She says, this time they should spend time finding a fresh face who can rejuvenate the party. Names to watch for, St. Catharines MP, Rick Dykstra, Dijkstra, Nipissing MPP, Vic Fedde, uh, Whitby Oshawa's Christine Elliott, which is the one Paul McKeever suspects because she's really left And then that's where the party wants to go. And of course, throughout the whole election, no one mentioned the elephant in the room, health care costs. All promises to fix it were very superficial at best, and just more rationing by cutbacks at worst. Nothing on the green energy schemes. Listen to the despair felt by all those people now living in those communities cursed with these ugly, wasteful, and inefficient turbines. It's just palpable. To say nothing of the Pan Am games, which is the next elephant coming down the room, but... We never heard of any of these things during the election, and that's why elections are not the time to be deciding these issues. You should already know which way you're going by the time you go into that election.
4: Well, who said that? It was Canadian Prime Minister. Who was that? Uh, Kim Campbell who said that. Yes. You know, elections aren't the time to be talking about
3: uh, And she got in ideology. all sorts of trouble. As a matter of fact, she came up in one of these examples. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour here, and we'll uh, take our next break, and we'll continue with the conversation when we return.
0: have you suspended the game because this is not a rematch
1: you have made a mockery of me
0: data you beat him no sir it is a stalemate no game of stratagema has ever gone this high what did you do i simply altered my premise for playing the game explain working under the assumption that Col Rami was attempting to win it is reasonable to assume that he expected me to play for the same goal you didn't no oh i was playing for a standoff a draw while kolrami was dedicated to winning i was able to pass up obvious avenues of advancement and settle for a balance theoretically i should be able to challenge him indefinitely
5: then you have beaten him
0: it is a matter of perspective doctor in the strictest sense i did not win i busted him up
5: (laughs)
6: If elected, what would your party do to spur job creation, especially for students? And Jeff, we're gonna start with you today.
2: I'm a, I'm a little disappointed because all the talk is around million jobs plan, and, and, and I'm getting some pushback on it on the doors. And I personally don't even believe that Mr. Hudak is in a position to go out and create a million jobs. I don't believe the government creates jobs. But in my years as, a, as an investment advisor, I've analyzed all sorts of businesses, and I've met lots of job creators in uh, in the city of London. We need to create a better atmosphere for job creation, and that's what our plan is all about. It's not about government creating those jobs, it's about eliminating red tape. I met a fellow last week, he's 34 years old, he's taking over his parents' company in Brantford. They are a high-tech manufacturing firm, and they employ over 120 people. And this kid's saying to me, look at, I'm being wooed by Indiana and Tennessee. They're telling me to come down there because my hydro rates will be half what they are here, and for every one hoop that'll have to jump through in Indiana, we've got a dozen of them here. That's a problem. This kid is Canadian, born and raised, wants to stay here, but he's thinking about taking his 120 jobs south of the border because we're making it too difficult for him to do business here. We don't need to go from 12 hoops to zero hoops. You need some regulations, but the last 11 years, we have gone so far overboard, we are making it difficult for job creators in Ontario to exist to thrive and that's why there's no jobs available out there and we need to change that bringing electricity rates down cutting the bureaucracy and uh, and lowering taxes not on the big corporations and not providing corporate welfare or hands-outs across the board so the little guy can hire people too
4: you know bob i'm not going to soft peddle it but i personally found many of the candidates in the, Lon- on the london election and in the debates to be repugnant
3: Ooh, that's a strong word.
4: It is a strong word. You know, even the progressive candidate, um, Jeff Bennett, who we we just heard, and who was in uh, London West, uh, that was a clip, by the way, of a a video that was taken for Just Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a London West candidates debate uh, where Al Gretzky was there and Mm -hmm. and, uh, Jeff Bennett and and those, those characters. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that Jeff Bennett actually stole away votes from Al Gretzky. <laughs> yes, as funny
3: <laughs> as that might sound. That,
4: that notion by the way of stealing votes away from Gretzky is a, is a bit of an in-joke if you've been listening to the show before. Yeah.
3: Paul McKeever <laughs> brought it up on a previous show. Exactly. You yeah. know, sometimes when I listen to them, they sound good on the surface. we got to eliminate red tape, and they're so good at describing a problem, but Ugh. never a solution, because it always ends up replacing red tape with blue tape. But well, the thing is, you can't yeah. trust them. <laughs> you can't trust them. You can't them. trust them. And That's you're the listening problem. to Jeff Bennett there say things that hey, I would say.
4: Yeah. And yet we know that he's a progressive conservative and that if they ever got into power, they would not do what he says. That's the problem. But anyway, if you'd like to see that full debate, it was videoed, and you can find it on our YouTube channel, Just Rate right Media. And as far as I know, this is the only video of the debate available. And it's important because what Jeff Bennett in this, uh, says in this particular debate got a lot of press coverage. Now Bennett went on to say that his party would end all of the wind and solar subsidies going against, of course, what his leader had said which was only to eliminate future subsidies. Freedom Party was the only candidate to say that they or party to say that they would no longer subsidize the current and future uh, contracts. So saying one thing when you're on the hustings knowing full well you're going against your party's platform to me is repugnant. It's deceptive. But something we should expect from the big three socialist parties, as it's precisely those same parties which have brought us to the brink that we're on today. Now, Jeff Bennett took a lot of flack for speaking against these party's leader Tim Hudak, but Bennett's comments reflected just how inane... Hudak's million jobs plan was—it was so obviously unbelievable. You know, Hudak dumped it on them without
3: any pre-prior discussion. Discuss- I think he and was even surrounded
4: Yurik. by by, by pe- people who were telling him what to do, and there was no communication to the lower rank and file. And so that's why you have I mean, Jeff it Bennett out there saying, sound that. Like "I don't believe that Tim Hudak can create a million right. jobs." Here's a conservative saying, I don't believe my leader. Yeah. I don't believe he can create a million jobs. Wow. <laughs> so, but at the same time, we let that clip run a bit because I wanted to make you sure to the whole context. that you put him in context and he's saying, I'm not just going to say that I don't believe that uh, Tim Hudak can create a million jobs. He went on to further say that what we mean is mm-hmm. create the environment to create jobs. So in other words, he had to qualify Tim Hudak's strategy. So what does it say about a leader in a party when your your candidates on the hustings have to go out and qualify or sort of explain? No, no, he doesn't mean that. He means this. Nobody believes that. We believe this. But I personally don't think that the, uh, the bizarre campaign plans of the PCs handed win the election. Now it's turn for me to say what I think, <laughs> besides the fact that, of course, win won because she got more votes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go wrong there. Yep. The polls conducted over the months preceding the election showed the PCs and liberals virtually neck and neck in st- statistically, um, what, what do they call it, um, Insignificant, there was yeah. an insignificant difference between the polls of where the Conservatives were and the Liberals were. Even when it showed the Liberals at 37% and the Tories at 30%, the level of significant difference was such that, that it would overlap.
3: Right. And they also took into account the, the differences in, in how many of each voter live in a particular riding that skews the results. You know.
4: Yeah, right. So, I mean, you, you can go back and it's all online. You can see all of the polls listed since the writ was dropped till the election day, and the Liberals and the Conservatives changed the lead throughout that uh, six-week period. At some point, uh, at at least two distinct points, the Conservatives were uh, supposedly ahead of the Liberals. It's just that on the day of the election, the Liberals
3: won but not, not by much, a few percentage points. I'm very suspect that they were ever ahead. I have, I'm so suspicious of pollsters and mm-hmm. who pays them and, and in whose interest they're doing those polls, especially when they don't poll certain parties, which I will not mention, uh, how accurate those things can be in the first place.
4: Oh, I agree. Um, you and I both mm-hmm. know uh, some of these pollsters and know uh, where they sit on their own political spectrum. Um, how they phrase their questions determines the outcome of the poll and uh, you have to take them with a grain of salt you have to sort of put them all together and then in the aggregate you may say that okay this is somewhat accurate you know but just don't take one poll it's like reading one newspaper Mm -hmm. you can't judge by one newspaper you have to read several to get a full picture you know if the the election if you were following those polls if the election were held at any week prior to or preceding the election it could have just been uh, an easy Tory majority win it could have been that was that close throughout the entire campaign. So to say that Hudak lost the election, um, which of course he did, but it was his fault for the 100,000, 1 million jobs plan. Um, I don't know if it's totally accurate. When that plan came out, 100,000, he only dropped a couple of points in the polls, which he regained within the, by the end of the week. So I think they're, they're people are placing too much emphasis on any particular strategy faux pas that the Conservatives may have
3: made. I think it was just another piece in the puzzle of distrust. Getting different stories, you know? Like, okay, he said that, they're saying this, and you get that sense of insecurity about the party.
4: You, mm-hmm. know? you know, in the end, the Ontario electorate, I think, is socialist. Come on. We only have three three main parties in power. We've, they've been in power for such a long time now. Uh, that, um, and they're always getting in or interchanging seats, and, and we're always, as you said, moving in the same direction, which of course is to the left. That's because Ontario is left. We live in a left wing socialist society. We're electing socialist parties, Liberal, Conservative in name only, and the NDP. They're all left. It doesn't really matter. There's a little difference between the brand of socialism offered by Wynne's Liberals or the brand offered by Hudak's Progressive Conservatives. The electorate, in all but the most blue-collar of ridings, um, Windsor, North London, uh, uh, the north of the province, a London fanshaw, and a few ridings in the Toronto area, went to the New Democrats. London West I consider uh, a bit of a swing riding. In the end, we always get the government we both want and deserve. If we want socialism, we will get it. And in the end, when the piper comes to call and the note has to be paid, we will deserve the pain that we get. So, just watch out for that pain.
3: Well, that's true, but you know what we'll do? We'll blame it on the politicians we voted for.
4: <laughs> or we'll blame it on the party of the day.
3: Well, whoever.
4: Or, or, or as that's as, the same thing. <laughs> you know, Obama. It's been eight years since Obama got in, and he still blames things on George W. or George H. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you know? And what's Win, What did wind blame things on? Stephen Harper.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you
4: know, she just went out of the province. Or oh, Mike blame Harris. Or Mike Harris. Mike oh. Harris is a, a still popular. The ghost of Mike Harris. Yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny, from your, from your perspective and my perspective, who, who, we're outsiders sort of looking in, and we're sort of objective in this because we don't like either of those three options, much like a lot of uh, the electorate. So we have to laugh when we hear people say... You know, oh, I'm a conservative, I'm going to vote there. And, yeah, yeah, but do you believe in the same thing? Do you believe in this and this and this? Oh, yeah, well, the liberals do too. Why vote conservative? Hmm, you know. right. You know, Detroit is looking better and better every day. <laughs> you know, I hear there's some really cheap property down yeah. there, they're giving away for a buck. I knew you were being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, unlike um, a a federal government or a nation which runs up its credit card, it's difficult for people to leave another country, for another country. It's not that difficult for the young in this province and the able in this province to pull up stakes um, here in Ontario, as many are doing, and move to greener provinces. People with pensions are tied to their jobs in Ontario and the elderly can't afford it, but the young and the able can. I think Ontario is going to become a province of aging workers with no hope for the young whatsoever. It'll be a sorry sight uh, to see in 10 to 15 years when our debt reaches half a trillion dollars. I just can't get my head around the the size of the debt that we owe. You know, the biggest take-home point, I think, though, to wrap it up about the election, um, is what doesn't seem to matter to the average Ontarian voter. What doesn't matter? Not what not what does, but what doesn't matter? Integrity of your premier doesn't matter. If it did, a million Ontarians would have stormed the steps of Queen's Park within months of Dalton McGuinty getting elected and would have run him out of town on a rail. Money doesn't matter. We're almost a quarter of a trillion dollars in debt. Most people can't put their heads around such a figure anyway, and, and as long as the handouts keep flowing, the average voter doesn't seem to care. So it's money I don't think, think the
3: average voter even knows about those things, Robert. You know, I don't think so. Either. No, I, I, I've had I had experiences through the election speaking to people who aren't voting. Their ignorance is beyond belief. They don't know how much we're in debt. No, they don't. They don't even know that there's, that politics exists, let alone <laughs> that we're in debt and that any of that is there. They pay. They pay their taxes on their che- paychecks. Now, m- mind you, but there are a lot of savvy voters out there who know
4: what you and I. Know. I don't think they're in a majority. They're not in a majority. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't want to say that all oh,
3: the electorate are idiots. No, no, because they the non-voters, you know, and I'm not blaming them. I, 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 at the same time, they are saying, you know, don't vote. You know, yeah. it's better not to.
4: So if integrity doesn't matter and money doesn't matter. Um, scandals don't matter. and Udman had a list of over 100 scandals perpetrated by the Liberals since McGinty took office. It doesn't matter. I had a look at the individual poll results from my writing in London Fanshawe and was somewhat surprised to see that 66,000... No, I'm sorry, this isn't London Fanshawe. This is for the province. But in the province, 66,145 ballots were either rejected, unmarked, or declined. That's huge! What's that? Twice the population of St. Thomas. 31,399 were formally declined. In fact, the second biggest source of the declined ballot was in Tim Hudak's writing of Niagara West glanbrook A declined ballot requires you to go in there, take the ballot from the uh, officer, give it back to him, and say, I'm declining my ballot.
3: Well, then Greg Vezina's plan is working well. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. Oh, now that brings me to Freedom Party. And what I consider to be an excellent result, as we've said at the beginning. Freedom Party's vote total and percentage increased significantly over the 2011 election. 9,253 ba- valid ballots were cast in favor of FP candidates in 2011, while, with 57 candidates. Therefore, um, let's see how, in 2014, we had 42 candidates, and yet we received uh, 12, over 12,000 votes. That's an 82%. Uh, increase per candidate over the previous election. None of the other parties can really say that kind of uh, an improvement in their in their uh, efforts, but Freedom Party can, and I think that we're, we're making a difference, we're playing the long game, we're going to be here for the long term, and we're ready when society is ready for us, and we're also trying to help society along in that direction. It's a significant and positive outcome, only showing that our hard work and perseverance will pay off eventually, as more and more people are discovering Freedom Party. And I can hardly wait until the next election, four years from now, when we we will be needed even more so than we are today. I'm going to take a little break here, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about Party X.
2: Of course they're threatening my life. I'm threatening theirs. Uh, Mr. Hayward,
3: sir, uh, Rick yes. Stevens, UPI, yes. uh, sir, your request here today for police protection against the oh, criminal well, Let me make
1: myself clear. I, I, I am here merely to report to the proper authorities the fact of my having received those threats. Now, I've accepted this uh, police protection reluctantly and only at the continued insistence of concerned individuals.
2: Sir, isn't that a rather cavalier attitude? I mean, it seems to me that anyone, much less a public official who's been receiving threatening letters...
1: No, I will not be intimidated by these threats. I will continue the campaign. Well, will you limit your public appearances? Not in the slightest. I believe that any candidate for high public office who has pledged himself, as have I, to the eradication of organized crime and all the filth that it engenders, had better possess whatever selfless dedication, whatever sheer guts may be required to stand alone with his only protection being the courage of his convictions, regardless of uh, personal risk. This is what I believe, sir. Thomas Jefferson couldn't have said it better. I think I just clinched your boyfriend's election. I can understand now why
5: Nelson finds you repugnant.
6: As we have seen in this series, the Department of Health, Education and Welfare is
1: spending increasing amounts of our money each year on health. One effect is simply to raise the fees and prices for medical and hospital services without a corresponding improvement in the quality of medical care that we receive. It is controlling more and more of the food and drugs we buy. In the process, discouraging the development and preventing the marketing of new drugs that could be saving tens of thousands of lives a year. In the field of education, the sums being spent are skyrocketing, yet by common consent, the quality of education is declining. More and more money is being spent and increasingly rigid controls imposed to promote racial integration, yet our society is becoming more fragmented. In the field of welfare, billions of dollars are being spent each year Yet at a time when the standard of life of the average American is higher than it has ever been in history, the number of people on welfare rolls is growing. Social security, the budget is colossal, yet it is in deep financial trouble. The young complain, and with considerable justice, about the high taxes that they must pay. And those taxes are needed to finance the benefits that are going to the old. Yet the old complain and also with justice that it is difficult for them to maintain the standard of life that they were led to expect a system that was enacted to make sure that the old never became objects of charity sees an increasing number of our older folk on the welfare rolls by its own accounting HEW in one year lost through fraud abuse and waste An amount of money that would have built well over 100,000 houses costing $50,000 apiece. Little wonder that those initials are increasingly coming to stand for how to encourage waste.
6: Something had to be done about this scandalous state of affairs. What better bureaucratic decision than to set up a special department crammed with computers and civil servants, all dedicated to tracking down waste using taxpayers' money, of course, in the process. $27.5 million in the first year. As Adam Smith wrote over 200 years ago, in the economic market, people who intend to serve only their own private interests are led by an invisible hand to serve public interests that it was no part of their intention to promote. In the political market, there's an invisible hand operating as well. But unfortunately it operates in the opposite direction. People who intend only to serve the public interest are led by an invisible hand to serve private interests that it was no part of their intention to promote. The reason is simple. As we have seen in case after case, the general interest is diffused among millions and millions of people. The special interest is concentrated. When reformers get a measure through, they go on to their next crusade, leaving no one behind, to protect the public interest. But they do leave behind some money and some power. And the special interests that can benefit from that money and from that power are quick to gain it at the expense of most of the rest of us. By now, after 50 years of experience, it is clear that it doesn't really matter who lives in that house. Government will continue to grow so long as the rest of us believe that the way to solve our problems is to turn them over to government.
4: And that, of course, was Milton Friedman's "Free to Choose" series, which aired over th- 35 years ago, it's still prophetic to this day. Frightening. You know, Ayn Rand did not like Milton Friedman. No, I don't. want to mention that because I'm going to talk about Ayn Rand right now. On August 12th, of 1962, Ayn Rand wrote an article for the L.A. Times, or Los Angeles Times, called just suppose. In it, she hypothesized the political party she called Party X. Wouldn't it be wonderful, she wrote, if we had an opposition party that really wanted to win this fall's elections? And of course, she was referring to the midterm elections during John F. Kennedy's presidency. Rand lamented that there seemed to be few, if any, Republicans in opposition who were staunch capitalists. She proposed Party X, describing it as a party which would, quote, oppose statism and would advocate free enterprise but it would know that one cannot win anybody's support by repeating that slogan until it turns into a stale, hypocritical platitude while simultaneously accepting and endorsing every step in the growth of government controls. Party X would know that the opposition does not consist of declaring to the voters, the administration plans to tighten the leash around your throats until you choke, but we're lovers of freedom and we're opposed to it, so we'll tighten it only a couple of inches." She was speaking of the Republican Party at the time, but that observation would apply perfectly to the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario today. On the one hand, saying freedom, and on the other hand, choking you. What she describes as Party X, I think, best best fits the description of the Freedom Party of Ontario. Quoting Rand, Party X would not act as Exhibit A for its enemies when they charge that it is passive, stagnant, me-tooing and has no solutions for the country's problems. It would offer the voters concrete solutions and specific proposals based on the principles of free enterprise. The opportunities to do so are countless, and Party X would not miss them, unquote. You know, the opportunities over the next four years demonstrate to demonstrate proper, rational solutions to the future scandals and problems offered up by the Liberals will be countless. And Freedom Party, our party X, will not miss an opportunity to act on them as the official opposition will sit passive and stagnant and me too's every socialist proposal of the Liberals. Their me tooing, the Conservatives, will take the predictable forms. Now is not the time. Or, we must wait until the economy can afford such a plan. Yeah. Or, we can offer the same scheme, only we'll make it more efficient. That's conservatism for you. The me-tours. Rand continued in her article, article to demonstrate specific, rational proposals to combat issues in health, education, and welfare, noting that Party X would set the pattern for the gradual lifting of the tax burden. This, by the way, fits in with my uh, uh, my segment last week's show. Mm where I suggested that she may not just say no to s- all forms of taxation. Rand noted in one of her rare examples of her prescribing political strategy that party X would, quote, marshal the support of the greatest pressure group in the world, the middle class, the productive, self-supporting men who have never been organized into a pressure group because it is they who pay the costs of all the status schemes, and their interests could be defended only by a true free enterprise party if such existed. Quote. Of course, in the United States of 1962, no such party X existed, and in the American two-party system, no such party is practically possible. And so she directed her message more to those Republicans who, she said, quote, might realize that a stand of this kind would win. And perhaps, she concluded, there are even a few idealists who might care that it would also save the country, unquote. Well, Bob, fast forward to 51 years to the north of the border where a group of idealists who believe that Freedom Party is Party X and working on saving this province and perhaps at some point in the future, this country.
3: Time will tell. That's all I have for today, Bob. Excellent, Robert. Well, X marks the spot and CHRW is that spot. We hope you'll return next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right. Stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright.
0: To make sure that the BBC and ITN get good coverage on the White House lawn, you know, mm. close to shot of me and the President. Excellent. And well, then there'll be more photo coverage inside the White House, just me and the President alone together. Oh splendid. Well, and then co- there'll be coverage of me and the President <laughs> at the start of the talks, that's mm-hmm. the next day. Excellent. And then after that, the President say goodbye to me. You know, mm. With any luck, he'll take my elbow with his left hand, you know, like like this. He mm-hmm. he did that with the West German Chancellor. West German
5: Chancellor, yes indeed. <laughs> <laughs> any chance of ensuring that beforehand well, with the, the best. embassy? Could be difficult, Prime Minister. Mm. Now, as you know, the agenda of your meeting with the President must be agreed in advance. I mean, you can't just go all the way over there for a chat. Why not? Well, you, um, (laughs) you might not think of anything to say. (laughs) And I understand that if this proposal of yours were to be put to the Americans, there would be a slight change of plan. What change of plan? Well, your meeting would not be with the President. You would be entertained by the Vice President. The Vice President?
0: The vice president? You oh, can't be serious.
5: I'm afraid so, Prime Minister. I'm sure they'll do it very gracefully, Prime Minister. Explain that the president had Qatar or bruised his thumb or something. <laughs> Fallen asleep, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs>